This is a download from Wireless Theatre, the showcase collection by Benjamin Peel. The Pack Saddle Librarian by Benjamin Peel Performed by Karen Fraser I think I must have frighted poor Charles Though he was never going to admit it Who you be talking to? He demanded Oh, I'm sorry sir Says I I didn't see you there I was just making small talk With my horse, Betsy Girl here Decided this stretch made for easier walking than riding. Then he asked me, What's a young miss doing out here in this weather? Sure cold enough to snap a wood chopper like it were a piece of glass, he says. I brought you good folks some reading material, I replies. To which he says, And just what the heck would I be needing reading material for? Haven't you heard, I say. Myself and a bunch of other women are bringing out books and magazines to y'all out here. He can't believe that women got nothing better to do than be traipsing around where we're not wanted, and he's darn well surprised ain't none of us have perished. I'm doing it, sir, as I believe it to be a just and true cause. Then his wife, Elizabeth, appears, and Charles tells her that I've brought some reading material for them all. She informs him. I did tell you they were going to be coming here and all after County Clay started a scheme up. But as usual, you didn't listen. Man, eh, Betsy girl? Close your ears for this bit. You mean to tell me you're going all over the county on this raggedy beast taking books to folks? Charles exclaims. And their children. It's mostly for them. I tell him. He reckons, though, that their two babes are too young for books. It's my opinion, sir, I somewhat pompously declaim. I have to readily admit that children are never too young to be read to. Elizabeth then pipes up. That's what I keep telling him. They need to be able to read and write if they're going to get work. That really sets Charles off. Work? They'd be darn lucky if they see any of that. They better off staying here. We don't need no help from anyone, especially this government. We can take care of ourselves. He asks me if I'm being paid for bringing out books to them, which I tell them that I am. This leads him into pondering what use books are out here. He believes that he knows all he needs to from what his mama and papa taught him. Then Elizabeth wants to know. And where's that gotten us? We're still scrabbling around the same way they were, only it's even worse now. I want more for our kids, she remarks, with more than a hint of irritation. I thought it was beginning to get a little heated, so I told Charles. Sir, I have magazines on farming and on cooking. I have copies of the Bible, of Shakespeare. That didn't go down too well, though. 
as he scornfully says. You think Shakespeare's gonna help us, ma'am? I'd like to know who came up with this darn foolish scheme. Then, instead of keeping quiet, I just keep on digging even more and quote at him. A fool thinks himself to be wise, but a wise man knows himself to be a fool. You not be mocking me, he rightfully asks. No, sir, I was just bragging at us dirt poor folk, Charles retorts. Then, thank the Lord if Elizabeth don't come to my rescue. That's from As You Like It. Touchstone? I believe so, ma'am. Charles can't believe that she knows that. She owns a complete Shakespeare, she tells him. It's been passed down through her family. It was with her grandparents when they came over from Ireland. Charles has never seen her reading it. Elizabeth peruses it when he's out of the house and keeps it safely out of sight. I'm intrigued. May I ask, ma'am, who taught you to read? I inquire. There's not so many in these parts as can. It transpires that her grandmama did as she spent a lot of her final years bedridden and she would read to her. So Elizabeth learned that way. Charles can't believe Elizabeth ain't never seen fit to tell him. Part of my remit, Betsy, is to offer to read to these folks. But seeing as Elizabeth said she could already, I suggested that she read to her husband. Though he straightaway said they had no time for that. It must sure be tough for them out here, as Elizabeth got a bit emotional. In the evenings, when the kids are both in bed, she suggested to him. It could be good for us. Lord knows we are both. It just might help. Well, I ain't interested in Shakespeare, was the response to that. I intervened and said, I had a Robinson Crusoe or some Mark Twain, as I thought he'd enjoy those, being adventure stories and all. Is uh, Robinson Crusoe the one about the man being stuck on an island? Charles asked me. Yes, that's the one, sir. I think you would like that. Just let me find it for you. Elizabeth asked to take a couple of those magazines I mentioned and invites me to come in for a coffee, as I must be frozen to my bones, which at that point I most surely was. Thank you, ma'am. I will. I'll just go and tie up my, close your ears again, Betsy girl, raggedy beast first. That led Charles to looking all embarrassed and offering to do that for me. As he was leading you off, he turns round. Oh, and if you have any trouble when you're out doing the rest of your rounds, tell him Charles Buchanan says you're okay. Thank you, sir. I'll be sure to do that. I gratefully retorted. Come on, Betsy, my raggedy beast. Let's go and lighten your load some more.
you had the run of your last prison, and you continued to operate from there. I do not deny that I received visitors and wrote letters. Oh, my spies assure me you did considerably more than that. But now I realize just how important you are. <laughs> I'm not as important as you think. Come now, you do yourself a disservice. So who have you stayed with? I cannot and will not answer that. Why did you join the Order? To minister to those fighting for our cause. You mean for your so-called freedom? But you have that now. On the state's terms. But where is our say? The previous regime was corrupt and decadent and deserved to be swept away. But denying us our rights and freedoms and imposing the state on us is not the answer. I'm not here to argue about what constitutes freedom. I just want to know who you are working with. I cannot and will not answer that. You know, your fellow captive has said he will obey and recognize the rightful state. I do not believe you. Unless you've tortured him into saying so. But you would conform if he has? No. Because I would be denying our right to freedom. Oh, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. The trouble with that argument for you is that both the Supreme Leader and the Order demand your loyalty. Why is it that as far as you fanatics are concerned, your bloody aims coincide with your so-called freedoms? We believe in universal tolerance, which is not a concept the likes of you understand. Tolerance for the order? You fall out with and can't tolerate some of your own brethren. It's no wonder when you are sent to do the bidding of foreign powers. I'm only here to peacefully minister to our order's souls. So what is your answer then? to a hypothetical question that would never arise. Who says it would not arise? If the invasion had succeeded, it might well have done. We would have had a foreign army overturning our way of life and bringing more bloodshed and mayhem. So, whose side would you have been on then? If that had happened, which it did not, and I do not think it is likely to do in the future, then I am a loyal subject of the state. So I would behave as a loyal subject. Loyalty? You don't know the meaning of the word. You know your fellow captive has told us that it was the two of you who passed on details of the assassination plot. We had no choice but to pass on that information. How so? They were foolish men who only managed to sow more division and discord. It was better that we were informed on them than let us all be tarnished by it. And yet, you let two of your order go to their deaths for it. We had no choice. If you have no wish to obstruct the state, tell us who you are working with. I heard of an execution. Well, they asked the condemned to conform, 
And if she did, she would be reprieved. We are not killed for treason, but for our beliefs. Have you ever reconciled people to the Order's political philosophy? Yes. And I would reconcile the whole state if I could, including yourself, the council and the supreme leader, yet without a single drop of blood being spilt. One of those conspirators had some interesting things to say. And the duress, no doubt. No, no, no. He volunteered this information. It seems that the foot soldiers of the Order increasingly disagree with the Elders' avowal of peaceful means. It is the Elders' express order that we should campaign and protest peacefully and eschew violence. I fear you are rapidly losing influence with that school of thought. He seemed to think that by not fighting back you are left spiritualist and flaccid. He is wrong. He is. But what you can no longer control is that faction. They are asking whether there is any authority that could prevent them defending their so-called right of way of life free from persecution. Sometimes I feel that I cannot blame them for that. And how long before you give them your blessing to carry out their murderous intentions? We have done our utmost to argue that we believe in peace, yet we are still condemned. It is those who would carry our murder and mayhem in our name that I most fear. You think I enjoy all this? Should I answer that? Dangerous times call for dirty methods. We just wish to go back to the old ways. Believe you me, I have no wish to persecute people. I want a stable state. So why do you persecute us so? It is groups like yours that are the cause of all the trouble, just as previous ones were. Remove those and the peaceful moderates are left. It is the state and its servants, such as you, that have caused the conditions for us to be required. Have we? We are not always in control of events. We adapt and change to circumstances. And you accuse us of dissembling an equivocation? Perhaps so. But as a believer in the state, I deal with realities. Everyone should profess loyalty to it. The Order did profess loyalty on the promise of reforms. But they never came. No. Because instead, you foment plots and revolution. I have almost daily reports across my desk. I protest that we do not. Your spies tell you untruths. I can assure you that the network provides some very reliable information. And do not presume to think us stupid enough not to be able to spot false and malicious intelligence. Oh, whether it be false or true, you use it to your own ends. Ever since the Supreme Leader took over, there have been plots and conspiracies which, had they succeeded, would have killed men, women and children indiscriminately. None of them had our approval. You're punishing a majority for the actions of a minority. If the minority were to succeed in one of their plots, then how would the majority react? There would be violent insurrection. No. 
It is far better that they are kept in fear and subjugation. People cannot and will not live under the jackboot forever. There will soon enough be a change of leader. I have high hopes that the next one will see the virtues of tolerance, not out of any great noble conviction, but because peace means less dissent and less instability. Whatever the motives, tolerance is always going to be greatly desired. You would allow those who support the state that same tolerance? We want a return to peace and tolerance for all. Very finely put. Say it were possible, and I were able to let you go with a new identity if you promised to obey the state. What would you say? So I could spy for you? I would rather end my days in here or be executed than renounce my belief in freedom. Do you really have what it takes to be a martyr? In The Interrogator by Benjamin Peel, The Interrogator was played by Edward Peel and The Prisoner by Stacey J. Goff. tonight, Ian? Fish pie. What? Fish pie. You got your hearing aids in? Yes. Uh, I hear Miriam has been causing trouble again. Swearing at the staff? They're still refusing to allow more than one glass of wine each evening. It's so sad that someone who was known for being so liberal says such racist things. Oh, she's got gaga. I don't think that's the politically correct term. We're too long in the tooth for all this bloody political correctness. Uh, and what's the latest term? Oh, yes. Being woke. Speak for yourself, darling. I don't think you'll get away with saying that anymore, either. It's what I say to everyone, male or female, especially when I can't remember their names, which is all the time now. Would you want to be starting out again? Not sure that I would. Would we be afforded the same opportunities, you mean? As two white, middle-class actors? Hey, I'm a working class, and as gay as a nine-bob note. I don't think it would be just as... Then again, you, you always had the better career. What do you mean? Well, you were always moving between the stage and the screen. So were you. Uh, yes, but in, in my case, it was the small screen. Well, nothing wrong with that. Well, plenty of people said to me uh, they couldn't understand why I wasn't working in films. 
Maybe it was your reputation for being difficult. I was no worse than some others I could mention, and besides, that part should have gone to me. Oh, here we go. I wondered how long it would take for this to come up when I moved in here. Oh, come on, you have to admit, I, I, I was more suited to the role. It was for a gay henchman in a gangster movie. I think I was more qualified than you. A henchman who was suppressing his sexuality. That's hardly you. I am an actor. I can play straight. He was supposed to be a muscled hard man. They must have seen something else I could offer. An affair with a director? Oh, that was much later on, and you know it. Anyway, these days a gay role would most probably go to a gay actor. If I played an alcoholic on stage, it didn't mean I was one. That's debatable. Is it any wonder when I didn't get that part? Come on. You can't blame not getting it for how the rest of your career turned out. It's not as if it's a great film anyway. It's very much of its time. But it made your career. Not for long. Oh, long enough, and all the while I was scrabbling about here in flea pit theatres and being typecast in bit part roles on TV. Well, I'm here with you now, aren't I, in this palace of endless variety? Yes, why are you here? I, I thought you'd have made enough to retire comfortably somewhere surrounded by young acolytes hanging on your every utterances. I made a few unwise financial investments. Well, we're both stuck here now. It's like the end of the pier show. You know, maybe that's what we should do. What? Put on a show. To whom? The residents. The staff. We've never worked together before. We could do a two-hander. The dumb waiter, perhaps? Us? Us two playing hitmen at our age? Why not? We need a dumb waiter. Well, I'm sure we could get something rigged up. I'm not sure I could remember all the lines. We'll just read it, then. I want to be Ben. He's the more senior. Okay, you play him then. Looks like they're ready to serve up. Enjoy your fish pie. Oh, look out, here comes Miriam. That's tonight's entertainment sorted out. I think I'll take my hearing aids out. That was retired upstage by Benjamin Peel. Ian was played by Edward Peel, Pat by Richard Simpson. You have been listening to Benjamin Peel's Showcase Collection. For more audio drama, please visit wirelesstheatre.co.uk.